They're continuing to load in well here for this big Group 1 event. There's a bit of movement from out wide. This will be confirmation from downstairs. Hello, broadcast. Okay. The clerks of the course have been passed fit to start, and Dean and Lewis are in the saddle. The red light goes on. The clerks of the course podcast is set to begin. Ready. And they're off. Chautauqua very late, it's English a half length in front, can he do it? Chautauqua, he's flying, yes! And excellent, but McCarty Diva clear with 100 metres to go, excellent runs to second, Otazun runs on, but a champion becomes a legend, McCarty Diva has won it! G'day punters, welcome back to another episode of the Clarks of the Course podcast brought to you each and every week by the Sporting Base, of course. Head on to the Sporting Base website for all your racing news and tips. You'll find all editions of our podcasts and our interviews and much, much more. So jump on the website now. You're joined uh, by myself again, Lewis Willoughby, Dean Watling with me as per usual. Uh, Got another big episode coming up this week as we lead into the Melbourne Cup Carnival. Uh, We've got a key trainer interview coming up uh, just after we get through these intros. So you really want to stick around for that. Uh, we had a great chat with uh, one of the leading trainers going in to the uh, latter end of the spring in Melbourne. We've got racing coming up this Saturday, of course. We've got our two previews here. Rose Hill, it's Golden Eagle Day out there. And at Flemington, of course, it's Derby Day, day one of the Melbourne Cup Carnival. What's sure to be a cracking four days of racing. We're going to do the Get Out Stakes Challenge as always. And uh, there's four Group 1s at Flemington, so that's four Group 1 challenges there. And uh, we're going to include the Golden Eagle in our Group 1 challenge as well. So we'll be having $100 bets all throughout the program. Dino, mate, as I throw to you uh, on this on this Thursday, I'm uh, sipping down on a beer, a very timely beer that I'll get to in a second, uh, a very meaningful one. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, mate. Uh, I'm very excited for this weekend. It's one of the better days, probably the best weekend or week of racing you can have. We've got Derby Day coming up. Uh, the new Golden Eagle, second year, it's running, so that adds another aspect to the day. But uh, adrenaline's pumping, keen to get stuck into this meeting, so keen as beans. How are you? Yeah, very well, very well. Been uh, working hard throughout the week as always, Australia's hardest workers, so I like to refer to us as. Uh, everyone knows that. But uh, yeah, the the beer of choice for me this week, as I, as I swing into that, I, I saw this one, uh, this stubby, Sitting on the top shelf of the of the fridge in the bottle shop, and I thought, nah, this that's a sign. This makes sense. I've got to crack this one out. Uh, in in honour of the restrictions lifting in Melbourne uh, as of yesterday, I think it was. So all all the fans back out there, back at the pub this Saturday, hopefully, uh, and enjoying a few schooners on tap and, and all that has to offer that they've missed out on the past few months. So I've cracked out a Melbourne bitter. Uh, it's a great beer. Better if you can find it on tap. It's still not bad out of the stubby. 1.4 standards. Uh, and this is an homage and a, and, a, and a cheers to everyone down there in Melbourne who's finally back to some freedom. Mate, what are you drinking? That's very fitting. Like you said, it's great to see all Melburnians out there back to the pubs, back drinking schooners. Hopefully they're back at races soon. I've gone with um, a lager. Oh, sorry, not a lager, an XPA from God's Country at Jervis Bay. It's called Flaming Galah. It's a local brewery uh, close to me. 1.4 uh, standard drinks. 
XPA, um, nice fruity taste. I thought I'd keep it local this week, so that's what I'm drinking. Yeah, that's very, very good. I haven't heard of that one before. What is XPA? Yeah, a nice can too, very colourful. It's got a dog on the front, skull and a beer. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's that's a beauty. nice beer. Always good to help it's out with yeah. local industries, mate. Yeah, support the locals always. That's it. Five-star Google rating. I just looked it up then. Five-star Google I might have to get some of that down here. That looks very good. No, very good, mate. Now, <laughs> uh, you had a good weekend on the punt last Saturday getting us all out in the get-out uh, with Ice Bath. What did you think of that run? And it's also lining up on the quick backup that we'll get to soon in the Golden Eagle. But, yeah, big win last Saturday. Yeah, huge win. There's a lot of queries. And I think if you listen to the pre-race interview with the trainer, uh, you would have been cursing with your ticket. He pretty much put the cold water on Ice Bath uh, on the wet track. Wasn't sure. Um, so I was a little bit... Um, uneasy before the race, but the performance she put out there was absolutely outstanding. Demolished that field. The further they went, um, the more she went in front. Handled the conditions fine. Um, I was actually cursing young Sherry in the run. He had a three pairs back on the outside. Nothing had won from there all day. Everything was leading, sitting on the rails and winning. So throughout the run, I was thought we were in trouble, but her turn of foot on the wet was absolutely outstanding. And like you mentioned before, I think she's a red-hot chance in the quick backup, um, the Golden Eagle this this weekend, and we know and we now know that she handles that that wet track, so it's a cracking addition of the Golden Eagle this year. Um, probably the biggest race of last week, well, was the biggest race. Um, very very nice last two hundred meters. I think we would have loved to be there in the stands. But what do you think of the Cox Plate? Yeah, it was a great race. Um, obviously, from from my betting perspective. Uh, I wasn't able to win on the race. I was against the internationals. Um, and funnily enough, actually not funnily enough, the way I'm going, it was basically immoral for the internationals to run one, two. And they did. So Dragon A had a good run uh, and was really, really strong inside that final, maybe 150, 200, as you said. And that's always a great sign moving into a Melbourne Cup uh, at the end of 2050, that you're really able to power through the line like that, especially on the wet track that it was. So, yeah, great win, Sir Dragon. I can't take anything away from it. Russian Camelot. Uh, I just want to talk quickly about Russian Camelot, and that should come as no surprise to anyone listening. Uh, jumped from the widest gate, and Ollie managed to get it up out of the barriers and get it into that 1-1 position, I think it was. Um and that seemed, when I was watching it live, I was like, oh, how good's this? He's gone from the outside barrier straight into the box seat. Like, you know, what a magic ride. And then he kind of loomed on the turn uh, and stuck on well, still ran third, don't get me wrong. Uh, but then, you know, obviously wasn't good enough to win. So my immediate reaction was that I was disappointed. Upon watching it again, uh, you saw that, again, like he did, against Arcadia Queen when he lost. He just wanted to pull and over-race in the mid-stages again. Um, and, and when you do that after having to work hard three wide into that first turn to find that prominent spot, uh, you're always going to have problems at the end of the race when others who have had a softer run come knocking. I've got a little theory, and I, I don't want to say it for sure because obviously I can't prove it. Um, I think he's feeling something. I think he might be feeling something in his back, uh, possibly in his legs, because when you watch the replay of his Group 1 win in South Australia where he sat off them uh, back in the field off no prep 
he relaxed on a dime and, and never pulled and never did anything and was able to round them up easy. His last two runs, uh, he's been pulling, and that's never going to help you as a staying horse. You need to be quite relaxed. So the reason that I'm putting that down to, the fact that he's starting to pull now and he, he hasn't done it in the past on the big stage is that he's feeling something and he's not 100% sound. Uh, so I think they probably pull up stumps here. He won't get 3,200 metres if he keeps pulling. Uh, so the Melbourne Cup's out of the question, and, and I would be very surprised if they pushed on to any further races. I think he's uh, earned a spell, and hopefully the time off uh, alleviates him of any problems he might have. But yeah, that's my little theory. I think he, I think he just might be feeling something. What did you make of the race? Yeah, I thought it was a cracking race. I thought it fierce impact. We mentioned him on the pod last week. He was absolutely outstanding. Come from a horrible spot. Uh, there was a couple of hard luck stories. Arcadia Queen nearly fell at the thousand. Um, I thought Mugger two ran out of its skin. Uh, had to work wide on the bend. But yeah, I didn't know what to make of Russian Camelot. I backed him as well. Um, just interesting that his best win or the the win that we all talk about is that win in Adelaide, where he was ridden off speed and closed with a turn of foot. I don't think we've quite saw since that run a turn of foot like that. Do you think that's because he's ridden closer to the speed, or do you think it's just like you said, there's something up this prep. Yeah, it could be both. I think, unfortunately, on the weekend, they didn't have much of a chance. You probably can't afford uh, in a big race like that on the wet where nothing was really making ground from back from the widest draw to go back. I think they had to be positive. Um, but, yeah, you make a very valid point. I think he's probably at his most explosive when in a big field, in a big race, he's ridden quiet and given time to build and then accelerate uh, when he's asked to. So, yeah, that, look, that's definitely a, a factor as well. Um, uh, look, I can't call him the best horse in Australia anymore. That's obviously not the case. I'm pretty sure Very Elegant would be taking that cake. Um, but I, I still hold a lot of promise. He's only three. He's got a lot of time to come. He's a staying horse by Camelot. They'll go forever. Uh, and he's only three. He's got, he's got a lot of time yet. So, uh, in the autumn and in the spring next year as well, in a year's time, he's more mature. I think we'll be seeing uh, the best of this horse. Now, let's move on here uh, straight into the ep. We've got a massive interview, as I said in the intro, coming up. Uh, now, in this interview, you'll only hear my voice. Dino was uh, bringing home the bacon hard on the tools uh, today, mm-hmm. working hard for the money. So uh, it's just me doing this interview. But without further ado, uh, let's get straight into it. We're joined on the pod today by uh, one of Australia's newest leading co-trainers, but don't let that fool you. This bloke has been around the industry from a very young age, hailing from one of the great racing families that this country has seen. He cut his teeth in the industry, uh, not only in Australia with his family, but overseas as well, working for a period of time under a leading UK trainer. He was the foreman under his father, Anthony, at their training base known as Pinecliff for the past few years. He's the nephew of Hall of Fame trainer Lee Friedman, but he's quickly asserting himself in the industry and forging his very own path. We welcome to the Clarks of the Course podcast, Sam Friedman. Mate, thanks for coming on. How are you going? No, thanks for having me on, Lewis. It's, um, you should give me a big rap. I don't know if it's all, uh, if it's all that justified, but um, yeah, it's good to have a chat. No, definitely, mate, definitely. Now, what we'll do is we'll go through a bit of your background, obviously, uh, it's no secret that you've come from a big racing family with the last name that you have. Um, you've obviously grown up around horses uh, throughout your life. So tell us a bit about your upbringing in, obviously, what was a strong uh, racing environment. Yeah, well, look, um, I've obviously been um, been around the horses 
you know, since birth and growing up down on the Mornington Peninsula, um, you know, grew up around the horses, mainly when they were down at Markdale, um, which is now, you know, St Andrews Brewery. So down there, the, you know, Lee and Dad, um, you know, were training together under Lee's name and they had, you know, 110 in work down there and, and I probably really started to uh, take a bit of note. I was, I was obviously very young, but I was always around the stables and, you know, in 2003, a horse like Mama Fi and then there was Special Harmony winning the Oaks in 05 and Alingi in 04 and obviously Maccabi Davis. So I think, you know, being around those sort of horses and, and, um, and, you know, working with them from a young age was, was hugely beneficial. I do wish we had that sort of stock now, but, um, you know, you reflect on it and, um, yeah, you obviously wish you are a bit older to have experienced it more. Well, that's it. How, how exciting was it to grow up around, um, not only horses, but some big names in there, Maccabi, Diva, Lingy, et cetera. Did you kind of grasp the, the greatness of what they were doing? No, I certainly didn't. Um, I wouldn't have been, um, mature enough to have understood the, the, um, you know, the feats of, of what those horses were really achieving. And, um, I suppose at that sort of time, you know, I would have been taking it completely for granted, thinking, you know, that this sort of thing goes on forever. And, um, you know, that 05 spring was, was probably, um, up there with, you know, the biggest spring you could possibly have. I think they won, um, you know, the Cox Plate, the Melbourne Cup, the Oaks, um, you know, they, they had a huge thing. So, yeah, as I said, I mean, I wish I wish I was a bit older when that was all um, happening. But um, all the same, you know, it's, it's always good to just reflect on it and always quizzing Dad about what sort of traits those horses had and, and um, you know, what sort of training programs they had along the way. Yeah, beautiful. Now, I was doing some research and I actually found that when you moved to England originally, it was to play cricket. So there was always maybe a chance that you weren't going to go into the racing game. Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, initially I was I was heading over. Um, I'd been asked to go over and play for a side over there, and it was sort of an all expenses paid for, for the season. And you know they they did accommodation and flights and everything, but training was only you know once or twice a week, and and games were, were purely on a Saturday. So I thought I'd I'd be quite bored just doing that. So I um I decided to to get a job over there. I ended up. Firstly, um, just in pre-training with with a, a good olfen trainer, and was just mucking out and, and you know just working five or six mornings a week, and um, then a job sort of came up at um, Roger Varian's, which I applied for, and um, got that as sort of a, a sort of a pupil assistant, which was you know just learning off um, yeah, the assistant and, and and Roger himself. It was a, a brilliant learning experience. It was the sort of experience that um, you know, I wasn't being paid much at all, but I wasn't there to, to make money. I was there to, to really, um, really try and learn the European way of training, and um, yeah, ended up staying for eighteen months there. I was I was initially set to fly home after six months and missed my flight. I, I didn't I didn't um, I didn't catch it, and then yeah, ended up staying twelve months after that. So uh, yeah, it was a brilliant experience. And and what did a week in the life of working under Roger Varian kind of entail over there? Uh, it was really it was very long hours. I suppose when you're when you're in that sort of role, you're almost the whipping boy of the stable, and and you you're made to do all the the very difficult and um, arduous tasks. Um, 
you know, you start at the morning. The, the mornings in England don't start nearly as early as they do here in Australia, which is probably one thing I miss. But um, you sort of start at four thirty, five o'clock, and um, and there'd be anything from you know feeding, checking legs was a was a focus of um, of Rogers and very much a, an English thing, which. You know, has never been a huge focus in Australia. Constantly checking your horse's legs and, and feeling for any heat or changes or something that might impact their action going forward. So that was something I really learned um, over there. And then there was you know, getting the horses to the races, going and saddling them. I'd often go and represent um, Roger at the races, and it was just um, it's a it's a very different experience to Australia it was, it was it's a lot more formal over there everything is um, you know by the book everything's very strict and, and regimented and um, you know Australia's obviously a little more relaxed and um, but I think yeah a few of the things you sort of bring back are those attention to detail on each individual horse over there and um, you know ensuring that, that that they're very sound and that they're handling with their prep well I mean one thing Roger would do very well was keeping horses up for a, a very long time and you know a horse like postponed um, was lucky enough to work with who ended up a, a globe trotting superstar and you know he would only run every six weeks or so and, and you learn how he kept the work up to him and still kept some sprints in his legs and um, the art of being able to travel horses was was something um, very important to understand so uh, my day-to-day changed a lot uh, as it went on, and um, but yeah, it was it was pretty much go 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 the, the whole time, and then you know obviously I'd squeeze a cricket game in there on a on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah, right. And when you came back in 2017 to Australia and rejoined as the foreman uh, for Pinecliff, did did you notice that you brought a lot of those skills and, and lessons you learnt with Roger back into the regime there? Yeah, I, I think so. I, um, you know, we had Ash Yagi as as our foreman here at Pinecliff as well at the time. And um, Ash has been, Ash had been with dad for, for a very long time. And I'd learned off Ash, um, you know, prior to even going to England. So there was a few things that, that I was able to sort of implement when I came back. But um, yeah, I suppose it, it's, it's hard to bring um, a lot of their training methods back here just due to the, the, the nature of, the training facilities you're afforded to in Newmarket compared to here, we're, we're pretty fortunate here at Pinecliff that, uh, not to say it's the same as Newmarket, but it's, um, you know, you can take your time with them, you can get the work into them that you need. And um, so there are a few things that, that I was able to come back and implement. Um, but ultimately, yeah, things are changing all the time and, and you got to be flexible with, with what you can use and adapt to, you know, when it occurs. And I think particularly probably with, with European horses coming out, it's been it's been beneficial having, you know, worked with a lot of them in England and, and learning their traits. And, you know, horses like Exospheric and um, Ben Arrow, Ivanhoe, and obviously Ladon de V at the moment, it's, um, they're, they're good project horses. And, um, yeah, we quite enjoy having them, obviously, down at Pinecliff. Yeah, now you, uh, as of this season, started... Uh, as the official co-trainer with your father, Anthony. I think we'd all like to know, uh, you know, how is it working alongside your dad? Obviously, your family, um, but you're also business partners as well. So sometimes, I guess, you kind of put that family nature aside a little bit maybe. How do, how do you, how has it been? Yeah, it's challenging. It's not, um, it's not all plain sailing and, um, you know, we, we fight and bicker and 
disagree on a lot of things, probably disagree on more things than we agree on. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's hugely rewarding working with family and, you know, it allows us to have brutally honest conversations on, on various amounts of topics and particularly where horses are placed and what work they're doing. And, um, so I think it's, it's got its ups and downs. I mean, it's, um, yeah, I suppose you, you've sort of got to separate your, your work from, from family and, and you sort of set some boundaries that, you know, at different times you, you completely forget about work. I mean, one thing about racing is that it's, it's all encompassing. It's a 24 seven, um, industry and, and it's very easy to allow it to creep in and control, um, your whole life. And I think one thing dad's, um, you know, very big on is allowing yourself to have a balance between, um, you know, obviously working very hard and then, um, and then allowing yourself to mentally refresh and, and separate your, your, your other life from, from work life. Yep. And since you started that partnership at the start of the season, um, you've had some great success as a duo. You had two wins on Cox Plate Day in, in the Crystal Mile and the Crockett Stakes. Uh, you've had a Geelong Cup win, an Ethereal Stakes win, a Gothic Stakes win. Uh, how, how has it been having having all these good wins uh, straight off the bat first time as, as lead co-trainer? Yeah, it's um, it's been hugely rewarding. Um, that said, we, we started out pretty pretty slowly to the season, um, but that is sort of the nature of how we prepared the horses. Um, the start of August each year, we, we never start off um, red hot, and it is worth note, noting that in seasons going forward, we don't prepare the horses to be peaking in August, September. Um, we like to start seeing them hit their form in October, November, and you know that's when, when the big races are obviously occurring. So... Uh, it's nice to see those those horses all performing really well and and running to form because that's all you can ask. You know they they might not be superstars, but if they're running to the best of what you think they can achieve and you're placing them in the right races, then it's rewarding. But it, it, it must be said, you know, there's there's so many cogs in um in our wheel that that keep this all going and and all our staff you know slogged out through winter. Obviously with COVID, it was challenging. You know for every stable and. Um, it's just nice when you get those little rewards through the spring, and um, and I'm sure you know once once the spring's over, hopefully we can reflect on um, on a really good really good spring of 2020. That's it, and you know what they say, mate. Premierships aren't won uh, early in the season. That's a good little motto that the Freedman Stable looks to be following. Now you've also had uh, runners in the Everest and the Caulfield Cup. Tell us what that's been like for you personally uh, for those like you know real big and rich races. Yeah, it, it's a bit surreal. Um, I must say, I mean, I haven't really been overly, you know, I don't get really excited by it. I don't know what it is. I sort of try and keep a, a very level head rehabbing runners in, in those races, um, probably through experience with Dad that you've sort of got to keep a, a very level head through the ups and downs because obviously there's going to be more more disappointments than, than highs. So, um, it's been hugely exciting. I think, you know, having a horse like Santran Elaine, obviously, um, in the stable is, yeah, he, he's an excitement machine and, and, yeah, it's a, it's an honor to, to, to be, you know, in charge of, of that sort of horse. So, um, you know, it's all well and good having the runners in the race, but you, you want to make sure they're going to be very competitive in them as well. Well, speaking of, uh, Santran Elaine, that's one I might touch on here. He's a grand old campaigner now. 
Um, and, and a lot may have said that the best was behind him, but he flashed home in that Everest race. Uh, probably the run of the race outside the winner, to be honest. Goes to the VRC Classic uh, alongside Lyre now. What, what's on the on the horizon for Santa Ana Lane, including that race and beyond? Yeah, well, look, um, it has to be said it was, it was probably um, not D-Day for him in the Everest, but we felt he was going very well. I wanted to see him go and do it. Um, we've maintained throughout that, that that horse means more to us than than any gimmick race or any prize money race. So we were never going to run him if we didn't think he was right. Um, you know, that said, he, he couldn't win after the first hundred when they when they were that far ahead, but he couldn't have done much more from back in the field. So he's still got a lot of life in him, um, the old boy. And we've changed a few things with his training just in the last month or so, which has been, you know, a bit of fun. He's been over a few hurdles and um, been at the beach quite a bit, just trying to stimulate him and, and spark what we know is there within him. Um, so he'll head to the VRC sprint and um, he heads there in really good form. Um, he arrived back at Pinecliffe yesterday, looks magnificent. He actually come on for that trip. His coat wasn't quite there before he left for Sydney and obviously I haven't seen him since he left and, and he looks three times the horse he looked when he left. So he's coming to hand really well. Um, straight racing, I know he's won the VRC sprint. I don't know if he's a straight horse, the way they tend to, to race. They go hard, then they sit up, then they sprint away. It, he needs a, a nice, genuine, just rolling tempo, and um, you know, obviously, Nature Strip will be will be there in the race, which you know is either a positive or a negative. It was obviously a negative last year when he kept running, but um, you know, if the field does bunch up, that's that's when you can see Santa really, really storm home over the top. But um, yeah, look, we'll we'll get a guide on where he's at next run, and he'll head to the paddock regardless after, and then um, and then we'll look at probably running him in the autumn. Um, that could be his last campaign in the autumn, I would think, but um, you, know, you would never say never to to pushing on if he's if he's warranting it. One thing is he's very sound and we've got a great routine with him that, that works really well to, to keep him up and going so well. Yeah, that's great to know he's, he's really coming on in good condition and he might even be set for another prep yet. Now, mate, before we get on uh, to the team's runners coming up in this big Melbourne Cup week, I might just touch on a few that you've had in the spring so far. Uh, Holmesman in the Group 2 Crystal Mile goes to the McKinnon Stakes now? Uh, not sure. We, we might go to um, just an 1,800-metre listed race on um, on Melbourne Cup Day. He, he'll have a big weight, but um, we want to place him where he can win and, and keep getting some confidence into him. Uh, realistically, can he win a McKinnon? I'm not sure. I don't think he'd bet, probably beat Armoury or um, Arcadia Queen. That's probably my honest opinion, but um, he's going very well, and it was hugely exciting to see him win that race. Sad day without a trial. It was good fun getting him ready for it. He took a lot of work to get ready for it. and um, So he'll either run, yeah, in the, the 1800 Cup day, or he would line up in the McKinnon Stakes. And La Mexicana comes through a Crockett Stakes win. A little horse uh, who's on the up. It's, it's an exciting time for La Mexicana. Yeah, it is. She's um, she's a nice filly who's who's just kept improving throughout the prep and really thriving at this time of year. She's had her challenges with the barriers and whatnot. She's been a bit of a nightmare. Um, so those sort of horses mean a lot to the staff because they put all the work in to, to get these horses right. And um, and so she's going very well. We'll probably miss Cup Week with her and, and wait for Sandown. There's a, a three-year-old filly's 1,400 listed race. Um 
her owner, Ricky Therese, did the gene testing on her and actually, you know, she's on the gene testing, she could easily get out to a mild and, and maybe 2,000 off that. Um, it doesn't always work out that way, but we'll um, we'll push on to the 1,400 and if she runs that out strong, uh, we'll probably go to the paddock and then maybe look to aim up at a, at a surround or something like that in the autumn. And black type races for these kind of fillies and mares is always really important uh, moving forward into a breeding stage as well, isn't it? They are, and, and she's um, she's got a good page behind her. She's an I'm Invincible filly. She's she's very valuable now, and um, she seemingly handles you know a lot of cut out of the ground. All her wins have come with, on, on soft tracks, um, so you know placing her where she's going to get that in the autumn in Sydney is probably um, probably a smart move. Now moving on to Saturday, uh, a few days time, it's Derby Day out at Flemington. Uh, you've got a runner in the Group Two, Wakeful in Agreeable. How's it looking? She's going well. She's been up a long time. Um, you know, the Thousand Guineas was, was probably her grand final, but um, she hasn't lightened off and she hasn't given us the impression that she's she's had enough. She's a very light-framed filly who, who doesn't require much work. We put her in the paddock for a week um, after that Thousand Guineas and she was doing well, so we, we've got her back in and and she's crying out for that 2,000. You know, she was raced fast as last furlong and... and just dropped the bit at the 400 and looked gone and then was rallying again late. So, um, drawn obviously a very good gauge. She'll, um, you know, she'll hold a closer position and, and over that sort of trip, if you can get into a good rhythm and just keep, she's a momentum filly. You've really got to get going on her and, and keep at her. So, um, she heads there in good form. Yeah. Now, Chica Fuerte, uh, was entered for the Group 1 Empire Rose with all the, only 49 kilos i also saw it was nommed for the vrc oaks on thursday what's the plan with uh chica Fuerte? yeah well we were tossing up whether we were going to the wake full or the empire rose and um you know we, we were really in two minds completely as to where to go um she'd be hard to beat in the wake full but you know you're only three once and you get that sort of weight relief in the empire rose that uh i, I think it's a bit too extreme for, for the three-year-old fillies um, you know, we won it with Shoals a couple of years ago. Um, Chica Fuerte is not, not quite Shoals, but she's got a, a racing pattern that will will make it hard to catch with that sort of 49 kilos. She won a bold race at a big price, and, and it wouldn't surprise us sort of her and Odium are both finishing in the first four somewhere in Forbidden Love. Um, you've really got to account for that, that weight. I mean, it's it's a huge weight relief, and, and it was too good to pass up in, in just having a throw at the stumps with her. Yeah, for sure. Well, expect a big run there at some odds for Chica Fuerte. Now, one I wanted to ask about is in the Group 3 Begonia, Prophet's Thumb. Uh, probably, again, similar to Santa Ana not in terms of ability, but you know, getting towards the end, uh, has been a favourite of mine throughout the seasons. How's, how's Prophet's Thumb looking into the Group 3 Begonia? She's going really good. She was good last time. She, she doesn't love soft ground. We, we nearly pulled her out that day, but we decided to, to let her run and she acquitted herself very well behind, you know, two very good mares that, that obviously she lines up against again on Saturday. Um, Proper Sun will improve a good deal back onto a, a good surface. Uh, she's had one run down the straight before, but it was on a, on a soft track. So you probably put a line through it. Um, She'll run well. It's a very good mares race, that, and um, it is every year. So they're an even bunch of mares. Uh, I'd expect her to be finishing hard and, and, and be in the first five or six somewhere at the end. 
Now, on to Tuesday, obviously, Melbourne Cup Day. You have a runner in the cup, which we'll touch on now. Steel Prince gets 53.5 kilos uh, coming off that really good Geelong Cup win, I thought. Um, and he's not terribly weighted here in the cup. Pikey's on board. What's the thoughts heading into the big one? Yeah, well, look, it's um, we've got warning as well. They're, they're both doing, going there in um, in really good form. Uh, warning, you know, it's funny, he, he, he did the same thing at Caulfield before he won the derby. He put in a a shocker in that. Well, not a shocker, but he was beaten, you know, four or five lengths by thought of that in the in the 2,000 metre race and then got back to Flemington and jumped out of the ground, obviously, to win the derby. So he's a real Flemington horse, warning. Um, he, he'll eat up the two miles. Uh, barriers are obviously pretty significant, but he's bomb-proof in the sense that uh, you can ride him wherever. He's run some slashing races from behind and obviously won a derby from on speed. So um, he'll give a good account of himself and, and still prints. Um, love this horse. He, he's just so honest. Um, he's not the best horse by any means, but he will never lie down. And um, if he drew a gate and he hit the front at some stage in that race, oh, they'd struggle to get past him because he, he seems to just dig in. Um, he digs into his reserve tank and um, he always seems to lift. So um, both there with good chances. I mean, you, you never come in a race like that. Ultimately, if they can be finishing... In the top ten somewhere, we'd be we'd be very happy. Yeah, I should have mentioned warning there. Sorry, I wanted to talk about its uh, run in the Group One Turnbull two starts back. I thought that kind of uh, almost put the writing on the wall that uh, warning was going to be very competitive uh, come the first Tuesday in November. Yeah, that's that's right, and and I think you've got to um, I think you've got to uh, go off that form more so than his run at Caulfield. I think. Um, We'll never run him at Caulfield again, more than likely. But um, yeah, I, I think he showed in the Turnbull that he's that he is up to this standard. Uh, he's not the sort of horse that's going to win many races just because he's an out and out stayer and obviously competing at the very top level. So um, he's profiling really well. He, he's probably profiling. Um, well, he was profiling similar to where Bound Declare was last year, albeit you know he ran a better race in the Caulfield Cup, but. Um, yeah, I think he, he'll run a very big race. And just quickly, LaDon V uh, runs second in the Geelong Cup, so he quinella that race. What's the plans uh, moving forward this spring for it? Yeah, well, look, he'll run in the Melbourne Cup. If he, if he were to get get in the field, it's highly unlikely he won't, and, and we didn't want to be running him in a Lexus and then going three days into the Melbourne Cup. I don't think we'd have a horse you know, after that. So get to go Geelong Cup, Lexus, Melbourne Cup, you, you, <laughs> if you... Winning a Melbourne Cup after that sort of campaign, you'll be some horse. So we will aim to the Melbourne Cup. If he doesn't get a run, we'll go to the Queen Elizabeth um, on the last day. Um, He's a lovely horse. He'll be a nice horse in six months' time. Um, He's pretty bomb-proof. You can ride him wherever. But um, those sort of horses that you can put on speed in Australia, obviously, uh, are going to win more races than they're not. And, um, you know, he he seems to handle all types of going. So um, he'll be one to follow, certainly, for the future. For sure. Now, Sam, you'll be happy to know that the official horse of our podcast is one trained by yourself and your dad, and that's show some decorum. Uh, and it's going to be a miss of me to ask how he's going leading into Friday night at the Valley. I know a lot of people are on the edge of their seats to see him uh, get back into the winner's stall. He's going well. He, he was good first up, I thought. Um, you know, he, he 
sort of rallied again late. He's a very honest horse. Um, I think he is best when he can finally and dictate. So um, we'll attempt to do that on, on Friday night. And, and I think early in the night, it won't be disadvantaged to be getting there onto the rail and on speed. So, um, look, we'll, we'll bounce him and, and travel and, and hopefully he'll just he'll keep running. Um, it looks an even sort of race. Everything's pretty lightly raced. So uh, I'd be disappointed if he doesn't acquit himself very well. Uh, now, I'm not speaking on behalf of all the owners here, but there's been a few requests that we are able to get yourself instead of Anthony to do the updates. Anthony's just, just not given us <laughs> enough excitement in his voice recording, so we were hoping that you from now on would be able to do them for us. All right, I'll take that. I'll take that on board. There's probably a few, a few owners in the same boat with a couple of horses. They can be, um, they can be a little bit of cold water on, um, on some of the hopes of, of the horse. But um, yeah, look, they're short and sweet, and, and um, we like to sort of keep a lot of them under wraps so that. Um, you, know, you hope that the owners can get a nice surprise when they're performing well. That's it. Now, I know uh, everyone listening is, is, is looking for um, maybe one that you can give us for the weekend or, or for the next few weeks coming up. Uh, what's what's one out here for the battlers that you, you think is a good chance of winning within the next week or so? Um, look, I think Ain't No Deal Done. He'll run Tuesday in the 1,800-metre race on Cup Day. He's, um, I think he's a very good horse. Uh, he was... He won in Adelaide the other day. He won okay. I thought he, I thought he would have won a, a bit easier. Um, but he's, he's come on from that. And I think that trip away has done in the world of good. Um, yeah, he, he should be, um, he should be very hard to beat there. He has run at Flemington before, obviously in the, um, Anzac Day plate. Uh, but I think he is going much better and, um, yeah, expect him to be our best for the week. And what about your two year old stocks? How are they looking? Yeah, they're looking good. Look, there's um, we're quite patient with them. Um, there's there's one in at the moment who's who's quite handy. I think he'll probably be seen in the in the Merson Cooper at Sandown. Um, so look, we, we we tend to wait until after Christmas and then we um, we start giving them their chance. I think that's the right way to go about it. Um, you know, you give them their chance and. If they're up to it post Christmas, then they're in at that time of year to be able to get to a race like a Blue Diamond. Um, you know, we're not big on pushing them to get to the races through this spring period. Um, it's sort of, yeah, it doesn't feel right to, to, to be really having to push them to get there. So if they really put their hand up, like I think this horse that'll run in the Mercing Cooper has, then we will take them there. Um, but I think, you, you know, you'll start to see them after Christmas. Exciting times. Now, Sam, before I let you go, we're going to do some questions. Uh, the first one's a quick fire, just one word, answer off the top of your head. Uh, and then from Twitter, we've got some adoring fans of yours uh, firing in a couple as well. So your favourite racetrack? Uh, internationally, I'd say York. I love York. Um, every horse got their chance. It's probably a bit like Flemington, so I'd say York. Beautiful. The race you really want to win? Love to win an Arc de Triomphe. Yep. Uh, the favourite country race day that you've attended? Um, oh. Picnics included? Yeah, Balnaring probably, I'd say. Yeah, beautiful. Winning beverage of choice after a big fill-up? Uh, an Asahi. So that's the second time I've had that, actually, Asahi. Now, some of the questions uh, from fans on Twitter. we got one that says, Sam Anderson does some spot-on impersonations of trainers. <laughs> 
Uh, has he done one of you after a couple of bevs? He hasn't, um, but I'll throw it over to him to, to try and come up with one. I'd get a good laugh out of him. They are they are a good laugh. His his impressions, and if um, if anyone hasn't listened to them, they should definitely go and have a listen. That's it. And uh, one from Campbell. What's your biggest fill up that you've had apart from the twenty twenty brown low? Well, it's funny because that twenty twenty brown low, um, we were all in a in a group, and and one of our members. Um, he said, look, I've put in all the hard yards for this Brownlow. I'm feeling really good about it. So he sent this PDF file that, that took an hour to download and dissected every single footy game there was. And we all walked away empty-handed. <laughs> we didn't hear from him for a week. Um, had to drive over and check in on him. And um, so that, that – um, I can assure you there's been more fill-ups than there was in the Brownlow this year. Mate, don't hate the player, mate. Hate the game. That's unfair. <laughs> Sam, thanks very much for coming on the pod, mate. I really appreciate your time. Uh, best of luck not only for you uh, but for Anthony as well and, and, the, and the whole team moving forward for the rest of the spring uh, and the rest of the season, the seasons to come as well. No worries. Thanks, Lewis. Appreciate it. There he was, Sam Friedman, with a great uh, chat on the podcast. We Again, thank him for his time coming on. And it's worth noting there for those that were listening that official horse of the pod uh, that we spoke about, show some decorum. He does line up on uh, Friday night at the Valley in race two. Uh, the plan is to go forward and try and lead uh, and hopefully hopefully, uh, will be too good. And, and Sam sounded like he was quite confident as well. Dino, mate, we're going to move on to our previews. Uh, off the back of that interview, we've got a big day at Rose Hill. It's Golden Eagle Day. Uh, it's a great day for uh, Western Sydney racing, as it were. Big day out at Rose Hill. They're going to get a crowd out there. Um and it, it should be a cracking betting day as well. Uh, the weather's a bit of a concerning point. Uh, talk us through the track conditions, how you think it's going to play out, and, and your thoughts on the meeting quickly. Yeah, like you said, it's been absolutely bucketing down up in here in Sydney. I think they're even expecting that 50 to 100 mils before Saturday, so we could be on a bottomless 10 by the time we get to the races and hopefully uh, fingers crossed the worst thing that we can happen is rain on race day as long as it holds off and um we get a nice sunny day or at least a non-raining day uh, throughout the meeting um we should be fine uh rails back in the true very interesting how this track plays i think ram we can play the opposite to rose hill on a wet track and uh, can sort of get off the fence early and we can see swoopers get a little bit of advantage wide whereas Ramwick tends to um, get compact in those inside lanes and then it just becomes a highway for leaders. So watch that track early and um, bet according. Yeah, beautiful. Moving on to uh, your first bet on the program, we're going to go to race six, which is the Rose Hill Gold Cup over 2,000 metres. Uh, mate, talk us through your bet here in race six. Yeah, just couldn't go past this horse. The horse that I speak of is Wugok, absolute warrior, um, mudlark. Um, absolutely loves the wet. Drawn barrier 12, should cruise across it outside the leader, fun fact. Um, purely off stats, wet track. This horse has to be a bet at $5.50. Drops nicely in the weights and gets in 58.5. Just to reiterate how good he is on a wet track. Uh, he's had seven starts over 2,000 metres on a wet track for six wins. Um, on pace, puts himself there. Um, at $5.50, I think that's a nice bet. I'm pretty sure the favourite as well, Purple Sector, huge query on the wet. I'm pretty sure that horse will be coming out. So we've got some, I bet, in race six in the Rose Hill Cup. 
Yeah, I'm glad you've uh, tipped up Wugok here. My mate Ollie uh, is a massive, massive fan of this horse exactly when it gets on the wet uh, like it will on Saturday. So I'm glad you've tipped it there. 550 with most bookies. It's come in 2% uh, since markets opened. I wanted to get your thoughts on one quickly here if you, if you can. Uh, and they've absolutely smashed it since markets opened is Nimalee, uh, the 10. Have you got any thoughts on it? Uh, it was a really good run last start. It's a horse that's sort of on, still on the up. Uh, I don't think it's reached its peak yet, but um, it's had a nice clean-up trial in between. Um, comes out of that race where Emeralds and Graceful Glamour at one. Just a slight query. It's got a good soft form. Hasn't seen a heavy track yet. It's sort of one of the horses that's probably not mine. I'm keen to play around at most starts, but like you said, $6 into four sixty. Um, Jason Collard on. No knock there for sure, and I, there's plenty of people tipping it up. Yep, fair enough. So first bet on the card, race six, number three, Woo Gok. Moving on to the very next race, we're going bang, bang. We might even take a little daily double here into race seven. Uh, and you've gone for one that was in Everest calculations for a little bit. Talk us through it. Yeah, the Yes, Yes, Yes stakes. So this race is held each year out of 1,300, um, named after the previous winner um, in the last Everest. So this year, obviously, the Yes, Yes, Yes stakes, it gets named. Horse I'm keen to be with. It's probably my bet of the day at Ram, uh, Rose Hill. Sorry, Hawk Brion Her. I thought she was absolutely phenomenal last start. Rode that hot speed set by Eduardo, Nature Strip. Um, I don't think she was run out of her skin either in that race. You watch the replay, she relaxed well. Um, she. I don't think it's a gut buster at all. That's not a concern for me. She held on for a fifth. That's absolutely outstanding. Um, up to 1,300 metres, that's advantage her over many of these sprinters, such as Geetra. Um, rock hard fit now, fourth up, 1,300 metres, like I said. Um, handles are soft. Her two wins on soft have been dominant, so I'm banking on her stepping up to the heavy range. Um, she'll be two lengths in front of Geetra on the run, and she'll sit off a nice tempo as well. Um, key aspect to her racing style, if you go back for the replays as well, her best wins or her biggest wins have been when she's had something to chase. So I think this race sets up perfectly. She's going to have a little bunny out in front to chase. Um, the form lines are impeccable. Everest is the right form line to come through. And if you speak of form lines, her first up win in the Sherico Stakes um, has had four subsequent winners come out of that race. So $6, big value for mine um, against probably Geetra, who's Two ninety, which is um, under the odds for mine. So I'm very keen to play Hawkeye on her. Eduardo um, has all the right starts, heavy starts. Yes, yes, yes. Ticks, ticks, ticks everywhere. But I just think that run in the Everest is a huge gut buster and have to be against um, Eduardo. So Hawkeye on her for me in the yes, yes, yes stakes. So we're going for an Abdullah and Walla double. Uh, obviously, Wugok, Abdullah, Walla combination, and so is Hawkeye on her. And I think the good thing as well about Hawkeye on her is that you've seen uh, a horse in trekking come out of the Everest, go to Melbourne and, and be able to run well so that you know horses coming from the Everest are still uh, not completely ruined at this point after you know obviously what is their grand final of sorts. So I think that would have to give you a bit of confidence as well moving into Saturday, surely. Yeah, for sure. Like you said, that a lot of queries would have come out of that race because of how brutally it was run. Um, but if you just go back and watch the replay, she, she was never off off the bit chasing, say, that 1,000 metres out. She sort of relaxed well in the run, rode that hot speed. Um, so if any horse out of the race wasn't detrimented by the extreme tempo, I think she's the one. And like you said, 
Trekking's come out and run well since, so it's not a query for mine. Yeah, beautiful. Race six, number three. Race seven, number 12. The two bets at Rose Hill. Moving on to uh, the feature event of the day, race eight, the Golden Eagle, 1,500 metres. Set weights for uh, the four-year-olds. And uh, talk me through your thoughts on the big one of the day. Yeah, cracking race this year. I think it's going to shape up to be uh, one of the spring highlights for Sydney. Um, it doesn't clash as much as we think, I reckon, with the Derby um, Derby Day down at Flemington. Uh, I think the more and more we have this race, you'll see more and more horses set for a prep for this race. Um, cracking field, like you said, the wet track adds a massive um, query to many, many runners. I think you can pretty much pen... 70% of the runners just on pure wet form. So I found this race pretty easy to narrow down to the chances I'm keen to, to be with. I'll quickly run through the speed map. I'll give you the horse and keen to back, um, horse and keen to stay on, uh, sorry, save on, and then the horse I'm keen to lay. Um, so just looking through the race, looks a fast tempo up front. You've got a big field there. So we've got uh, Justin can go on forward, uh, Ruan Dini will go forward. Alligator Blood and Funstar, they've drawn the wide barrier, so I'm expecting them to push forward as well. Um, Butega can go forward. Fender is an emergency. Um, Ice Bath looks to get a beautiful run, and then we go back to the majority of the rest of the field. You've got Subpoenaed, All Saints Eve, Windstorm, Flit, Emeralds, Craderis, Superstorm. They're all those sort of back markers. Um, so just looking at the race like that, um, I think the biggest query Biggest talking point of the week has been Funstar's barrier. Um, I simply just want to get rid of that query altogether. You go back and look at the Epson run. She drew two bar- uh, two stalls inside in 16. Um, with the emergencies coming out on Saturday, uh, she'll, she'll jump from 18. Um, so I don't think that's a query at all. She's going to push forward. She's going to find the lead. Heavy stats. So if you're worried about the barrier with Funstar, we'll tell you don't, don't worry at all. You're getting better price just for purely people knocking the barrier. The horse I am keen to be with and was at a huge price after last Saturday's win is Ice Bath. I think the race sets up perfectly. Drawn barrier five. Should get a beautiful run in behind a nice tempo. Over the 1,600 metres, um, we saw last week she sat a lot closer and rode that speed. I think that's the key. You know, runs before that over 1,200. She was sort of run off her feet, drawing good barriers. Everyone had a mapping behind leaders, the 1-1, one, one, but she just couldn't keep up over a shorter distance. So barrier five over the 1,500 Saturday, she can posse up beautifully. Um, she went up $21. She's been absolutely crunched in the market into $12. I would recommend that's probably rock bottom odds. Um, I'm just trusting my eye, my eye with this um, horse. The ratings out of the race last week, Weren't all crash hot, but just the way she did it on a wet track, quick backup, they're all the right ingredients for a race like this. And at the $21 at the start of the week, I was very keen to play. The horse I'm keen to save on is that fun star. Her stats on a wet track are impeccable. Um, you just got to go back to look at her uh, record. One from one over 1,500. Second two, Conte Patero on a heavy on the Queen of the Turf Group 1, um, won a Group 2, file up stakes over 1,500 on a heavy 9. Don't worry about the barrier. She's going to go forward no matter what. Um, if she can land in that posse, that 1-1 one, one, or two pairs back or even take up the lead, I think she's a huge chance. She might even drift in the market. The horse I'm keen to get, be against is Alligator Blood. It's quite incredible. A horse that's won a Group 1 has never, ever seen worse than a soft 5 in its life. Um, has to be a huge query on a heavy eight. 
Even on a good track, I'd be keen to be against. I don't think he's come back quite as well this prep. I think that three-year-old prep's taken a lot of it out of him. Um, he might come back a nice five-year-old, six-year-old, but keen to be against Alligator Blood. So my bet in the race would be Ice Bath. I think $12 is rock bottom. She might drift a little bit. Save on Fun Star, and I'm keen to be against Alligator Blood. Beautiful. Now, if, uh, when you're getting the hundo out of your wallet for the uh, Group 1 Challenge, are we going to be splitting it between uh, Funstar and 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 uh, Ice Bath, or what's the plan there? Yeah, so I'm keen to go $100 Group 1 Challenge, um, $50 Ice Bath, and $50 Funstar. How are you playing it? Yeah, beautiful. That was a good summary there, mate. I'm, um, I'm going to go one here, and I mean, I, look, I haven't looked at the race overly intensive, um, but one that caught my eye early doors was Riadini. Now, really good run in behind Probabil, uh, finished third, not far off them at all. It's a New Zealand horse, two from two on soft, um, but normally with these New Zealand horses, you, you find that although it's not tested on heavy, it's it's normally able to get through it. Barrier seven, Brenton of Duller, uh, hopefully for your sake and for mine, he's in good form because you've tipped him twice. So if he is in good form, that reads well for my uh, challenge here. I'll be having $50 each way, Riadini. As I said, only one length off Probabil um, and one length off I Am Superman has wild planet form over the 1,300 metres first up. Uh, yeah, just just caught my eye at a bit of odds and without going through the race heavily, he was uh, he was the one I was keen to be with. So that's how I will uh, be playing the $100 challenge. Mate, it looks a good day of racing. Cracking day, cracking day. Hopefully the rain, like I said, stays off. Um but it is the bridesmaid to probably the biggest meeting of the year, Derby Day, four Group 1s, um, three Group 3s, and two Group 2s down the Flemington. Um, what's the weather doing? What's the track doing? Give us a little rundown um, of how you think it's going to play. Yeah, mate, you're not wrong. It's it's a huge, huge day of racing at uh, headquarters. Derby Day, famous one. It's a good four-rated the track. There's some light showers around, but... Uh, not enough, I think, that's going to cause a downgrade of the track. We know how well Flemington drains. Um, I think it will be staying in the good four range. Rails in the true. Uh, every horse is going to get their chance. I think it looks an absolutely cracking uh, day's racing. I cannot wait. Saturday morning, mate, it's going to feel like Christmas. I cannot wait to jump into this meeting. Uh, and there looks some great betting prospects all around the card as well. Um, I'm leading for a bit of value, actually, in a few of the races, trying to uh, – to nab a few things out of thin air, but we'll see how we go. Uh, the first of the group ones that I'm going to look through here is the Empire Rose. Uh, if I just get my sheet up, yeah, group one Empire Rose. Uh, quick look at the speed here. I think Felicia and Forbidden Love go forward. Shout the Bar, Asiago, uh, She Shall Fly even, or also not too far off those for Felicia and Forbidden Love. Uh, and really the the only backmarker, true backmarker, in the race, I think, is uh, Natoya. So I, I, I would presume uh, Natoya to be rounding up the field. My tip here in the first of the group ones is Odium. 49 kegs down the bottom, the young one. Really, really impressive win, I thought, in the group 1,000 guineas last start. Did have a good run, uh, but put the race to bed very quickly in the straight. Gave nothing else a look in those final 150 metres. It was a dominant win. Jai McNeil's wasted to get down to 49 kilos to ride it here. I think that's a big push. Uh, obviously, a bloke that doesn't usually get down to those kind of weights. So the fact that he's uh, been able to get down there to ride this horse is a massive push. I think it maps really well uh, from the barrier. 
jumps from barrier seven uh, pre-scratchings. I think that's great. It finds a good spot midfield. Uh, and the, the, the Price and, and Mick Kent Jr. stable, they're still in form. Uh, and the fact that they've got her in here uh, with the very low weight, four starts for three wins this prep, I think she's a massive chance uh, and a huge danger to uh, the favourite, who is Mystic Journey, I'll, which I'll make the main danger, uh, carries uh, eight kilos more than Odium does. So that's a huge uh, differential. Obviously bounced back to form last start with a win in the Group 2 stocks. It's got great track and trip stats, three starts at the track and trip for two wins and a, and a placing, uh, and has clearly bounced back to a little bit of form. The two runs prior this prep were okay, um, so it's still a bit hard to tell if that last start win was just maybe a little outlier uh, in the prep that she threw one together for one start and, you know, can she hold that form? Uh, but Kara McAvoy goes on, will give her every chance as he always does, and she holds weight. Uh, from that Group 2 stocks win, but does have to carry uh, the top weight here in 57. Another quick danger I'll mention that's at a bit of odds is uh, I think it's Shalot or Chalot uh, for Archie Alexander. Declan Bates takes the ride. Uh, is also down the bottom there carrying uh, 56.5 kilos. Thought it was really strong behind Sovereign Award last start, who since won again at the Valley last Saturday. Drawed down low and doesn't have a lot of early speed, so we'll need some luck. It sticks to the mile, which suits, and it just looks like a horse on the up. Same as Odium. It's only had four starts uh, for the three wins. Uh, I think it's got a bit of potential, and, and around that $15 mark, uh, I think you might be worth having just a little speck on Charlotte or Shallot, or however you say it. My lay, now, Dino, you won't like this one, mate. I'm sorry. I have to do it. Madame Rouge. I know it's not a, a favorite or, or you know heavily in the market, but I just want to talk you out of backing Madame Rouge. It won the Group 2 last start. It ran the fastest last 400 and 200 of the meeting. Don't let me take that away from it. Uh, I just don't think it gets a mile at this top level, uh, especially in a race of this uh, you know, intensity and, and this uh, pace. I think this, the mile will see it out. Uh, it doesn't get as good as map now as it did last start in Barrier 12. Um, and so, yeah, I just some people might go, oh, it ran the fastest sectionals, and, and that's not hard to see, but... If you are thinking of having a go at Madame Rouge, I want to talk you out of it. That mile is a big query. Uh, the last 100 metres is going to be a, a real hold your breath if you're on Madame Rouge. My $100 for the challenge, I'm going to go the whole 100 plonk on the 12, Odium, on the nose. What do you think? Very brave. Uh, it's been absolutely crunched in the market uh, into 360 now. So um, looks very nice. Come through those. Um, Three-year-old group one winning races. Um, I'm just sort of want to be against it down the bottom. Uh, I think there's a couple of horses up the top that are much more seasoned, better horses in my opinion, but you've run us through that beautifully. My $100 bet is um, going smack bang on the nose or pretty brazen at the $14. Uh, you've talked me out of Madame Rouge. I was going to have a saver on her, but that 1,600 metres is a big query of hers. Pretty brazen, though, one from one at 1,600 metres. Forget last start. That was the strangest race I've ever seen. Um, stop, start, not um, – I think they went very, very slow in that. So it's a horse that needs to ride that nice speed. Kick off it. Drawn barrier six will get the perfect run and can sit off the three-year-olds back if needed. Uh, I know you're against the McAvoy stable, but at $14, I think last start was a total forgive. So I'm throwing the $100 on pretty brazen. Yeah, they went 
I know it was a soft six in the Tristark, but they almost ran 35 seconds the last 600. It was an absolute crawl. Uh, and obviously that's just not what suits Pretty Brazen. Um, so, no, I, I completely understand where you're coming from there. That looks a good bet. So there's our two uh, bets for the Group 1 Empire Rose. Now, mate, I'm going to throw to you. You've kindly uh, taken the reins for me here in the Coolmore down the straight. One of the great straight races, must I say, of, of, of you know of Flemington and of, of Australia almost. Such an exciting race. Uh, but because there were so many uh, Sydney-performed horses coming down to compete or, or that had run in Sydney this prep, I thought we'd throw to you for a look at the Coolmore. Yeah, like you said, it's probably one of the most famous racings. It's actually the race that pretty much got me into the racing bug. Um, the race I speak of was the Stern v Extreme Choice v Flying Arty race. Um, that's got etched into my mind. I was a cracking race. I was on a Stern, so I didn't back the winner. But since then, I've been absolutely hooked. I'll quickly run us through. Um, similar setup. I'll look for the speed. I think we're going to get a very nice speed up front. You've got horses such as Farn and Anders, Wild Ruler, um, all going forward, so you can expect a nice tempo up the straight. Um, interesting that Farnan and Wild Ruler both draw the wider fence, um, the outside fence, sorry, and then Anders has drawn the inside fence. So it'll be interesting to see if we get two packs led by Farnan, one led by Farnan, one by, led by Anders, or if they go to the middle. Um, I think this sets up perfectly for horses off the speed if they overdo it up front. Um, horses such as September Run, Doubtland, Glen Fittich, they can all run on behind this nice speed and Wild Ruler will sit in behind those um, runners. The horse I've landed on, and I can't ignore the sectional times at all, is September Run, the favourite. Like I said, we're going to have nice speed up front. Um, the sectionals have been absolutely outstanding. You go back and look at her last 600s in her last two starts. Last start, last 632 23 um, Second fastest entire meeting. Two starts back, her last 632-32 was a meeting fastest as well as her last 400, 21-42. Um, it's been an extreme turnaround for this filly um, after a failure first up in Sydney. Um, I think she just must have great straight line speed. Um, she has an exciting turn of foot. I think from the barrier out wide, she'll, out wide, she'll follow Farnham, uh, which will take her perfectly into the race, as well as Wild Ruler. I think that will be the key to the race, her getting pulled in by those two horses and popping off their backs late. That's the course I'm keen to be with. Um, I'll go through a couple of others that are the big dangers. I think Glenn Fittich is a forgotten horse. Um, the only query with that horse is 1,600 metres back to 1,200 metres. You always got to... Um, back to Peter Moody stable. Uh, he sits there nice and quiet this week, hasn't said an absolute word. I don't think I've read a document or a post or anything about this horse. Has had the surgery, but plenty of these horses have setbacks. I think Anders is a forgotten horse. Forget that last start. SP to $1.35 in a three-horse race. Um, just not ideal. And if you look at the sectionals, they went lickety-split early. Just just forget that race. I don't think that you can't you can't judge a horse off a three horse race. Go back and look at at two, first two wins. Um, I beat a horse called Ole Kirk, who's come out and won the Golden Rose, and then the Guineas. That's the right form. Absolutely smashed that field that day. North Pacific's run well since then. Um, Twelve hundred meters. You go back and look at those sectionals of those first two wins. Um, the sectionals tell me that yeah, it will get twelve hundred meters, no problem at all. Ten dollars. Um, I couldn't tell you the price of Anders if he was to win his last start. Um, so I think that horse is way over the odds. Another one, 
that I think can run a very good race is a horse called Wild Ruler. He has a very similar profile to a horse called Cosmic Force in last year's um, Coolmore. I think he may be one or two, one and a half lengths off the top end in this race, but that's that's on the notion that Anders Farnan, um, September run are at their peaks. Uh, I think we can probably say that September run will be confidently, but Anders and Farnan with their interrupted preps, um, it's probably a query how good they're going. So he definitely goes in there. He's probably the bulletproof horse in the field. Um, so I'd probably keen to save on Wild Ruler. Um, the horse I'm keen to be against right on top of the market is Farnan. I can't get anywhere near his price. Um, if the Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bot Yard are able to get this horse home after his prep, um, this will go down as probably one of the biggest wins in history. Um, he's had setback after setback, injuries. Um, he's got synth- synthetic hoof filler on on Saturday. Those are just all queries for mine. Um, I think it's very key, and you're the same, Lewis, backing horses in Group 1s in their finales off solid preps. I thought we saw it in the Everest. Um, Classic Legend had that faultless prep. It's Me had that faultless prep. I think it's underrated how well um, it is to back horses leading into Group group 1s or finals off nice preps. So that sort of rounds out my preview of the Coolmore. I'm keen to be with the favourite September run. I'm not sure she'll shorten any more. I think she'll stick to around that 4 odds. I'd be keen to save on Anders and Wild Rules at big price, and I'm keen to lay Farnham. Yeah, you know what? I reckon uh, with Farnham, mate, you could have stopped at Synthetical Filler. Put a line through it then. <laughs> Dead set. Yeah, oh, the, the, I cannot stress to you people how important it is to look at gear changes and stewards' notes regarding a horse's hoof or a horse's feet. If there's anything wrong with it, just I it, honestly, it's line through stuff. It's a line through job. Synthetic hoof filler. Uh, it's obviously not right. There was a race. I just talked about quickly. Uh, uh, it was on uh, Wednesday before it got scratched. Lord Belvedere came up in the stewards when it was still running uh, with glue on shoes. Its feet were crook. The feet were no good, and they ended up scratching it because of the foot problems. It's trust me, any of this stuff, synthetic hoof filler, all that kind of stuff. Very important to put a line through. Mate, how are you spending the $100 just quickly? Uh, $100 for the $100 Group 1 Challenge. I am going $100 smack bang on the nose of um, September run at the current odds of around that $4 price. So my $100 bet, smack bang on the nose, September run. What about yourself? Beautiful. That looks good. I'm following you in to an extent. I've got 60 on the nose of September run. Uh, and I'm going to put 40 on the nose of Swats that. I have a real, real soft spot for this filly, Swats that. Uh, she was not far off September run when they clashed here, two starts back down the straight, uh, and it almost doubled the price. I'm not sure if she can turn the tables, uh, but I would just, if she were to win without any of my money on, uh, I would never punt again. I couldn't do it. I couldn't bring myself to punt again. So 60 September run, 40 Swats that. Moving on to the biggest race of the day, what the day is named after, the Victoria Derby. Uh, it's looking to be uh, – look, there were some divided opinions, to be honest, on on the strength of the Derby uh, this year. There, over 2,500 metres, there's been a lot of chat that it should be brought back to 2,000 metres uh, to increase the strength of it, but I think that's a discussion for another day. Uh, we'll focus on what we have uh, and what we can and what's going to win. I think the speed, let's crack a deal. He looks the only clear leader for mine. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see if something like hit the shot, Alvarado or Wasaka, 
Uh, do they take him on or do they just let him get away up front with uh, cheap sectionals? It'll be really interesting to see the change of tactics. Redwood Shadow, Kenzan, and maybe Cherry Tortoni go back in the race. My tip, got to stick with him. Young Werther, scratched from Mooney Valley last week with the wet track. Uh, it's certainly not going to get that issue here. It was an absolute certainty beaten last start at Flemington behind Quay Quay. I went through this last week on the pot. It was terribly held up. Showed a great turn of foot when it asked. The closing sectional was really strong. Uh, and for a staying horse to be able to pick up like that indicates a very, very smart horse. Obviously, has only had the two career starts. So this is a huge ask to come here. Uh, third up into your career to 2,500 to win in Group 1. But such is the almost underwhelming strength of the race this year. I, I'm not concerned that it wouldn't be able to do it. It's drawn well in Barrier 4. I think it's a really smart horse. I think it can win $4. I'm happy to be on. Uh, the Dangers. I want to make a case for one of the ones that is going to be back in the field, Redwood Shadow. It's been targeted for this race ever since uh, it broke the maiden status. It was a nose behind some of the big chances here. Last start at Caulfield in the Group 3. I think it's going to eat up 2,500 metres with this quiet ride. Um, and, yeah, just as I said, I know it's been targeted for this race. McNeil's on, 57 kilo. Uh, and with that quieter ride, I think it's going to savage the line from back uh, is Redwood Shadow, fourth career start, currently about 15 bucks. Another one quickly, obviously, Cherry Tortoni, massive win last Saturday in the heavy at Mooney Valley. Uh, how much did that take out of it? Don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Probably watch the market with it. It'll be your best guide. The one I'm keen to be against uh, is Alborado, which is quite sad because I'm 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 a good fan of this horse. I had it black book off its first career run, uh, and I've I've been following it with intent throughout. Uh, but I just think it was only just in front of a few other chances here last in that Group Three, including Redwood Shadow, uh, and I'm just got some slight queries on the 2500 meters. So at 750, I was keen to be against Alborado. My $100 uh, in this race, 50 a win, Young Werther, 50, uh, 25 each way, Redwood Shadow. That's 100 if my maths are correct. What did you think, mate? Yeah, 100% agree with everything, everything you said. My $100 is going smack bang on uh, Young Werther. Keen to be against Cherry Tortoni this week, back on a dry track. I think that's a big query for the horse. Um, would love to see what it does this this start back on a dry track, I think there has to be a query going off last start's win and then the failure up in Sydney. Um, but, yeah, if you can have a stable that's going to do it off three starts, I think the Danny O'Brien stable is the one to go. So that rounds out your preview of the Victorian Derby. Uh, we move on to probably one of my favourite races on the program, um, the Kennedy Cantala Stakes over 1,600 metres. This is always one of my favourite betting races of the year. Um Run us through your preview, mate. Yeah, you're not wrong here. I personally found this the hardest one of the group ones to kind of come to a conclusion to. And and because of that, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain my bets in a second, I'm just going to spec a few at odds here and kind of hope for the best almost. I, I thought this was a really, really tricky race to dissect and get through. Your market and the market moves late especially will be a really telling factor. The speed, Buffalo River, Streets of Avalon, they're going to lead them up. Olmedo and Age of Chivalry, they're at the widest draws. I think they're going to have to be positive from there uh, and go forward. Talking back in the field, you've kind of got uh, your Rykovics, your Rocks, Cascadian and King Legacy. They don't have much speed out of the gates either. They could be back as well. Now, as I was saying, in terms of a bet, I, I couldn't really find something that I was super keen on, so I'm just going to spec a few. Wild Planet is the first one I'm going to spec purely 
uh, off the fact that I tipped it in the Group 3 Munga Stakes last start. I thought it was a really strong win. I think uh, the mile now, that's not an issue. It's had proven form at the mile before. 55 kilos here with Pikey on. I think it's a Group 1 horse. 55 kilos, barrier 8 out to the mile, no issue uh, at around that double-figure double quote. I just thought, why not stick with Wild Planet? Uh, obviously, it's performing well enough if they've if they've chosen to keep keep it up here and, and go on to this race. The other one I'm going to have a bet on, and this is a real speculative one, is King's Legacy. I just think it might be a little bit forgotten. It didn't fire in the Caulfield Guineas. That's fair enough. It's had the three weeks between runs. You've got to remember that it was expected to fire in that race. Um, it's $21 here with 51 kilos. Glenn Boss hops on. Group 1 Glenn, fresh off a Cox Plate win uh, last weekend. Sticks to the mile. I just think it's been completely forgotten. Look, it could come out uh, and run a poor one again, and then you go, all right, the Melbourne experiment didn't work. Back you go to Sydney. But it's still here. It was expected to fire last start. You know it's a good horse. It's a Group 1 winner at the mile. Um, And I just saw it down the bottom there with no weight and went, nah, that shouldn't be 21 bucks. Let's have a little spec. They're the two I'm going to be with. Danger's obviously Mr. Quick. he got to respect coming off uh, the Group 1 win. It's got a wide draw here, but, gee, it's just as honest as the day is long, this horse. It deserved that Turak win last start. Buffalo River's another one, third up. It was only just behind Mr. Quickie. It SPs really well. It's got that lightweight again. Craig Williams sticks aboard. Uh, as for my uh, lay or the one I'm keen to be against, I couldn't really narrow a single one out. So I'm going to say Reykjavik just because Timmy Gage is keen on it. Uh, and asked me for his thoughts, and I went, well, I don't like it. So I'm all off Reykjavik just because Timmy Gage is on it. But, yeah, that's my thoughts on the Kentala. As I said, very hard race, hardest group one of the day in my opinion. going to spec a few at odds. Uh, my group one challenge, 50 win Wild Planet, 50 a win King's Legacy, uh, and we will be straight to Rockpool if uh, either of those two get up, mate. Yeah, I really like your thinking on King's Legacy there. It's actually a bet for mine. I'm going to have $20 on King's Legacy. read the interview this week with Paul Snowden, and he couldn't understand that last start failure failure in the guineas. He said he scoped him, x-rayed him, did everything he could for him um, and come up with absolutely nothing. So I'm putting it down to Caulfield Track, back to Flemington, horse that loves to wind up, $21, 51 kilos on its back. For a horse that was a length or two off Ole Kirk, that's the right form. Um, my other bets in the race are $20, like I said, King's Legacy. $30 on Buffalo River. thought it was an outstanding run last start. Nothing won. Led and won all day. Uh, thought that was a great run. Craig Williams aboard. I'm going to throw $30 on Buffalo River. And my main bet is going to be on a Sydney horse for the Hawk Stable. $50 on um, a horse called Rock. So 50 on Rock, 30 on Buffalo River, and 20 on King's Legacy. Yeah, That's the way I'm playing it, mate. Beautiful, beautiful. I think that's uh, a great group one strategy there. We'll have to write them up for the punters so we can post them and you can go back through them. But that rounds out uh, our previews, mate, and almost rounds out the pod. I'll just go through. Uh, I know we've both got a um, both got a get-out stakes bet. My get-out stakes quickly, Trelgan. Race 9, number 10, Tug of War. I'm covering the meeting for best bets. Um, you can find my full thoughts on the website, of course. But Tug of War should have won first up, missed the kick. Second up here, I think it can uh, redeem itself uh, and get up in the last at Traralgon. Don't ask me where it is. What's your uh, get-out stakes, mate? Uh, I'm sticking to Flemington. 
Uh, race nine, number eight, Fatuse. Uh, forgive last start. They absolutely crawled in that race. She needs a hot tempo up front to kick along. Um, didn't handle the Caulfield Bend at all either. Back to Flemington, or to Flemington, sorry. Down the straight, uh, $4.80. Convinced she's a better horse than California Zimble. Uh, $4.80 is a great price against one of your favourite horses, Diamond Effort. So race nine, Flemington, number eight, Fatuse. Beautiful. Give them both strength, uh, and hopefully they both salute for us and the punters, mate. That rounds out the episode. A bit of a longer one uh, this week, but it needed to be with the quality of racing that we've going uh, that we've got going on, and also the interview uh, with uh, Sam Friedman that we had in there as well, with some great insights. If you want to listen to any of this again, head to thesportingbase.com. Uh, again, all our podcasts are up there on the little podcast button, top right of screen. Dino, mate, best of luck punting this weekend, or to all the listeners, best of luck punting this weekend. And don't forget, official horse of the podcast, show some decorum. Tomorrow night, Friday night, race two at the Valley. He'll be winning. Enjoy, enjoy. Enjoy the weekend, mate. Enjoy punters. Um, Hopefully we back a few winners. We'll chat to you next week.